Storymakers. Story I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today we have the good luck of sitting down with Brian Hurley. Brian is the books editor at The Rumpus and editor at Fiction Advocate. One of uh, two. Yes. His literary criticism has appeared in The Millions, Electric Literature, and Full Stop. Formerly the linguistics editor at Oxford University Press, he is now a senior managing editor at Callisto Media in Berkeley. So lots of great stuff to talk about. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. I'm happy to talk to you guys. <laughs> really looking forward to it. All right, well, I have to say, I have a kind of a burning... Wait, but first, we're going to talk about oh. what we work on before your burning question. ready to jump into burning the question. All the rules, Angie. <laughs> I know. Just a quick check-in. What are you working on, Anne? Um, I am working on managing my feelings around casting. So that's... that's uh, I have a film that I'm working on, been casting, and it has been the craziest uh, ups and downs I think I've experienced in a long time. Like, outside of, like, stopping dating, like, this... Is that was... what you call getting married? <laughs> stopping dating? Yeah. All right. Stopping dating. It's been 13 happy years of not, not dating. dating. <laughs> anyway, okay. Casting, equally yeah. traumatizing. So, you know, just, yeah, there's moments when you're just like, you're oh my gosh, going to somebody happen. for a part. Yeah. Is that the parallel there? Like, you're choosing and then there, nobody else can play that part once that person's cast? Yeah. That's terrifying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are you working on? I am still editing my novel and um, I have less, fewer than 100 pages left. So I'm kind of excited and terrified and just plowing ahead. So, how about you, Brian? What are you working on these days? Uh, uh, how, how many things can I list? Go, go for it. This is your story maker's 45 minute hour. Uh, um, I, I just sent off a thing to Lydia, who, at Keesling, who runs The Millions, uh, a piece that they'll publish on Tom Wolfe's forthcoming book oh. that comes out next month. Uh, I'm writing my own thing. I, at work, I'm editing a book on potty training, a book on the Kama Sutra, um, a, a book on uh, English grammar. That, so is that's this, the, the non-genitally oriented. I was going to say, is this like potty training through the use of the Kama Sutra? Like, what is the... I guess that's dark. Never yeah, mind. Right, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> that, yeah, that's... So far, they're two separate audiences. Yeah, okay. Good. So far, good. Let's keep it that way. another self-help book. If, if, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, and and yeah. I'm look, looking at a couple different manuscripts, one that we'll publish at Fiction Advocate in about January um, that's that's just about ready for layout. And I'm um, looking at a book proposal for a, a small series that we're starting there um, and just helping a friend uh, with, with his manuscript, too. So mm -hmm. the, those those are the ones that come to mind. That's what I'm working on. Yeah. And just we don't have to go into it at length, but what's your thing that you're working on? You mentioned in passing. <laughs> Uh, it's a, a long gestating novel that had, had no no tiny piece of it has seen the light of day for many years. But the, you did an interview in I think 2010 about the process of writing a novel. Did I? Yeah. God, I, I don't remember things I said. <laughs> I've been googling you, so uh, yeah. <laughs> Is it the same novel? It, it must be. Yeah, it's ancient. Yeah, yeah. It takes a long time to write a novel. Yes. It really does, yeah. I mean, there's that wonderful story of Juno Diaz despairing and thinking, listing in the middle of the night with his then-girlfriend what else he could do besides write novels. You know, five years into writing uh, Brief Wonders Life of Oscar Wilde, five years later he published it, so. Yep. 
Well, that is t- 10 years sounds very reasonable to me at this point. I, I'm very happy with 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. So I'm so excited about all of your different um, hats. And uh, maybe let's start with Fiction Advocate. I don't know if that's your passion project, or, or maybe they all yeah. are in different ways. But um, So you started Fiction Advocate. Can you just t- give a little background to that? Yeah, it started as a as basically any other lit blog, and it was just me. Um, uh, a good friend of mine from grad school, I went to Emerson for an MA in publishing. Uh, so I eventually teamed up with a friend who was doing a similar thing, um, so we joined forces. And then another friend from that program uh, who became a designer at Little Brown and some other places joined us to do uh, the, the design work. Um, and we, you know, it was kind of a, a an irreverent lit lit blog with zero traffic for a while, and then we got a little bit of traffic, and then we decided to, or I, I think I, I was really eager to, to actually make books um, because that's something that I, you know, went to grad school for and have have a career in. So the idea of being able to do exactly the books that we want to do and exactly the way that we want to do them was really exciting. So um, we've we've done about three books so far, and we. We've got five more planned uh, for the next, like they'll all come out in the next six or eight months. So there's mm. there's gonna be a big ramping up, um, and it's it gets more and more legit as as we go along. But it what I like about Fiction Advocate is that it's a sort of a a safe space with no pressure where we can just sort of um, grow and and figure things out and uh, with, without having to you know make make a ton of money because it's not a real business or be beholden to anybody uh, anybody else. Again, because it's not a real business. Um, <laughs> so, the question, for, I guess, like, how do you, you... Is this your burning question? No, because no. now I have a different burning question. And I, <laughs> I'm i like, shiny, bright thing. Um, distribution always seems like when you're looking at launching these kinds of projects and you look at moving from a blog to publishing books, how does the distribution piece fit? Uh, well, right now we're distributed by Small Press Distribution out of mm-hmm. Berkeley, mm-hmm. Um, and they're right. fantastic. And I, I go over and have lunch with Brent sometimes, and you know they, they do events around the Bay Area. So um, I feel like we're in good hands there. Before that, before we hooked up with SPD, um, distribution was all online, and I, I agree, Angie, that distribution kind of sucks, and it's really hard to figure out, and it takes a big bite out of your margin. Um, and I think the way that we dealt with that with the first couple of books was just by having incredibly low expectations for how many books we were going to sell. So the the key to survival at that really early stage was to just hardly print any books and and make just just a sliver of a couple of cents off of each one, so that so that we wouldn't lose morale. Um, so I mean, I mean, if if you make if you make a project small enough, it's hard to fail. Mm-hmm. I want to step back and look at the publishing landscape through your eyes. You're you're a degreed professional in the field uh, and and you know and how how you see the small press fitting into what's happening how you see what's how what is happening like my, like advocate or small, do, do you mean specifically for fiction advocate or for all small presses well I guess I guess specifically for fiction advocate or you know how you or as you know and then how that might apply in general yeah so um well, the Fiction Advocate works so far because we have three really great professional people who are running it together without getting paid. And, and that means that, that between that and you know, having a little bit of professional uh, experience, 
budgeting books and, and distributing and marketing books, we can make sure that we don't screw up too bad because we make just a little bit of money for authors um, and we, we don't break the bank anytime. So, so far I think we're uh, growing slowly and, and really waiting for uh, one of our books to just massively take off, which I, which I think uh, one or two of them are, are poised to do in, in, in the next year. Um, and at, at that point, you know, we, I, I, what I like is having, I, we have the patience to wait until we can step up mm-hmm. uh, organically in terms of the, uh, the, the audience that, that we're getting. It's not like we have to be uh, rushing ourselves. Um, and at, at least one of the books that, that's coming up, I, I know, is, is going to be big. Um, and that's going to sort of pull us organically into um, having a bigger audience. Uh, we will be in a good position to, you know, figure out what we need to do in terms of uh, publicity. So, sorry, that I, I feel like I'm I'm talking confidently, but but it sounds like I'm just making it up as I go along. But but I I really do think that compared to like an established publishing company, um, we can just sort of keep watering Fiction Advocate and letting it grow. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess, I question. Well, so so I, I mean, I know there's. I have, well, I have so many questions about it because I, I one is I think is your slush pile amazing because there are so many great books that are not getting published by the you know five remaining kind of big big publishers. Yes, it is amazing. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the qualifications of, of people who are submitting to us and it sometimes it, it's disheartening to me because I don't think. Uh, I don't think we a fiction advocate is well known enough to deserve those those mm-hmm. submissions. You know, um, I, I I know those people deserve some something great, and we only have we have a very small bandwidth. We can only take on a few projects a year, and that more than anything else prevents us from accepting some submissions that I know are quite good. Yeah, can you talk about? Um, you know, we have so many um, students and and listeners who are submitting work. Can you talk about it from from your end, like getting the this work and how you approach it and how you know something is a yes or a no or a maybe? Yeah. Um, well, the the first the first thing that I think is important to to acknowledge is that uh, there's there's no way we can publish all the good books that are that are submitted to us. And if that it, sometimes I feel like that's kind of like we should be able to, and then I get just racked with guilt about saying saying no to things. Um, but I try I try to always tell you know when I turn things down I try to to make it clear that I think people with good manuscripts will find a home elsewhere. Um, and it's ne- it's never personal. Uh, we we do keep you know we hang a shingle so that people can always be submitting to us. But that's not the main way that we've found that that we've acquired books. I mean it's uh, I I really value knowing someone and being able to to understand who they are and what they want out of the publishing process and at the small scale with a really small press um, the author's expectations are huge because people have such diverse ideas about what it means to get published or how a book can be published so um, the couple times that I've that I really didn't know someone before publishing with them there were just multiple conversations beforehand about like what do you think getting published means and what you know is this about personal exposure or is it about like you know growing as uh, like uh, graduating up to being published by a bigger press later or there there's so many different goals that someone can have um, so so I trust the process more when I know when I know the person or in some cases we've even uh, commissioned some books uh, so that 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 makes makes us feel a lot more confident about how that, that the whole process is going to go well and then we'll be um, you know, unnecessary risks or misunderstandings. What do you think the single most important thing for an author going into 
publishing uh, is to know about it. You know, what what expectation is the most key? Um, I God, I don't know. I I, I guess it's important not to uh, look for personal validation, through <laughs> which is uh, at, at bottom, it's, it's part of everyone's motivation. Yeah. So, um, I, I think you gotta be clear, clear, clear minded about, um, what specifically you want, you want to accomplish, whether you want to see your book in print and give it to someone you love and, and feel that connection or whether you want to, um, put something out in the world and get, get feedback on it, get criticism, um, or whether you are you're just trying to go through the process and and develop into bigger things in the future. Yeah, I have, I have one last thing, and then we'll, I just I have one last real question about this, and then we'll just we'll move on to your next burning question. But um, <laughs> or talk about criticism any which, any moment now. But yes. it's it's this which is um, and this is so logistical and whatever, but it's also so real right now. Is that th- there's this crazy numbers game happening in publishing, right? Where they'll say your numbers aren't high enough for us to publish you. And yeah. I mean, I'm just watching this happen with different people. And it can be like someone had an Oprah book. And so their first book sold, you know, 250,000 copies. And then their second book only sold 100,000 copies. And that was disappointing. And it's hard to sell the third book or, you know, it's like this crazy thing. So if you go with the small, small press, and I know that small presses are doing incredible things now and taking risks and publishing amazing work. Um, how do people deal with that? You know, that you're going to have small numbers because that's even going to be the expectation or the print run or whatever. And to sort of build a career from that. It sounds like you're asking, you're asking how someone who had, had a big publishing deal would transition into, into a small press deal. Yeah. And, and possibly, and this may be the thing you're exactly looking for people not to be thinking about, but possibly transition again back to a big press. Yeah. Well, uh, so on the on the question of scale, I think that's an interesting one, and it's one that one that comes up at my day job a lot. Um, most at, at my day job, we we have the 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 theory that I, that I think is correct that most big publishers, the big five publishers, are um, operating on a kind of a Hollywood model where a few main a few big successes underwrite a whole bunch of. Uh, you know, quote unquote failures where the books haven't haven't earned out. Uh, that's just um, so. So I think when when good authors uh, publish with a, with larger presses and somehow disappoint those presses, uh, quote unquote, that um, that's not the author's fault at all. That's just systematic of of the way that those publishers are operating, where they're taking stupid risks. Sorry, sorry, that, that's harsh, but they're 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 paying huge advances and rolling the dice every time thinking this one might might be the the best seller and that's just kind of a, a poisonous system to be to be entering into so I, I don't think it's ever you never want to blame the author for that, that type of thing um, and then but more to answer your question Elizabeth about like moving from a big press to a small press I think um, you know you it, I, I, I would emphasize like the, the quality of the readership like the you you might um, there's that crazy thing about how when a book wins an award, its Amazon ratings actually go down. Have you heard that? No. Uh, because the um, winning like a Pulitzer will expose a book to a much bigger audience than it would have gotten otherwise. And then a bunch of people who weren't necessarily attracted to it might feel compelled to buy it. And then they and then they feel disappointed and the, and the rating goes down. I think some that's some type of dynamic is maybe happening when an author moves between a big press and a small press with a small press. 
you might have a, a smaller readership, but uh, they'll be exactly the readers that, that you wanted to reach, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, it's sort of interesting because that some of the stuff that you're talking about sounds very much like a lot of the sort of internet model with much more niche audiences and um, lower overhead and looking at sort of these more agile approaches to, uh, and I don't mean agile development, I mean just, you know, an agile approach to the business model where uh, yeah. nobody's making a ton of money right off the bat, but you can do these kind of smaller things that hopefully over time will grow and develop audiences. What would be a fiction advocate book? Like what makes your <laughs> books a fiction advocate book? Um, well, we haven't done a lot of them so far. Uh, but I, uh, one thing that I was saying to, um, in some interview like a year ago is that, uh, I think we do well at the intersection of creative and, and critical writing. So, um, like, like we, we published a little ebook uh, a couple years ago about the, the, um, the biography of Holden Caulfield, how that character developed through the different stories that J.D. Salinger had written and sort of like the behind the scenes life of, of that character as an idea. Um, the, there's so much great writing being done now at the intersection of uh, personal essay and literary criticism. Um, and I, I, we're um, developing a series around that right now, which is, which is the thing that, that we've been commissioning writers to do. Yeah. Um, so I see that as very much in our wheelhouse at, at Fiction Advocate is sort of um, blurring that, that line and getting a great story out of something that's a little bit cultural criticism and a little bit of, of a personal narrative. Um, and, you know, we've also just done weird books. I mean, uh, the, we, we did one call, uh, one of the books we've done so far was about um, wine and uh, in the Paso Robles region, plus uh, like a multi-generational family saga going back to Alsace. And uh, there were ghosts and uh, murders and things, um, and it it just didn't didn't really fit anybody else's mold. But it it was just so um, full of its own kind of life. Uh, and and another book that uh, that we'll do the the big one coming out in January will be with a writer named Matthew Galloway who did a book with Crown maybe three or four years ago. Um, and this th- this book when he pitched it to me was. Um, 180,000 words. We were going to do it in four volumes. We oh were going to put it in slipcase. And I was just so so enchanted by the the problem of, of, of figuring out how to do that. And I was so um, I, I believed so much in Matt's writing uh, that that I just knew that it was uh, it was something bold that, that that would work out for us. Um, and and that's that's someone who who I sort of knew personally. So we had a, a great working relationship. Uh, I, I I'm not sure if I've answered your question, Angie, but I've given you a couple examples. Yeah, yeah. Helps. No, it's, it's yeah. I just it's interesting to think about. And I guess my other question was, you know, you talk about these big uh, publishing houses giving these big advances, and that's not something the smaller presses are doing. Um, and so it sort of is, you know, I I think people are high very often when they're like, I'm gonna write for a living, and you're like, go ahead, yeah, um, <laughs> have a good time with that. What do you think the the most success? I mean, like for people who are looking at small presses, what kinds of things do they need to sort of bring in to be successful in that environment? Um, that's that's a good question. Uh, like like I said earlier, I think specifically knowing what they want to get out of out of the process mm-hmm. is is the, the most important thing. And there's there are an array of things that publishing can can do for you or can make you feel. Um, 
And if, I, I think people who have a nebulous understanding and just sort of want it all or want a little bit of everything or, or want the, the personal feelings that, that go with being published are setting themselves up for failure. Um, and, the, and the other thing to, I, I think there's an expectation that people who publish with small presses are gonna do all the work themselves. Um, and I, I certainly wouldn't want that to be the case, especially in terms of promoting their book. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, taking on the financial risk, frankly, because they're not going to get a big advance. And uh, so, I, th- I think I think it's important to have a really clear relationship with the people who are publishing you about um, who's going to do what work. And uh, it, it's it's really got to be a partnership, and the the lines of of who's contributing what should should be very clear up front. Otherwise, I think feelings can get hurt. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about book reviewing. Yes. You you are the editor of, of books at The Rumpus. Yeah. Um, and you also write reviews. And for a while wait, you... Wait, wait. What does that even mean? You're the editor of books. It's Yeah, it's a weird title. It, it, sh- it should probably be book reviews editor, although it shades into other things, you know, book-related features um, and stuff. I, I inherited the title from, from the previous books editor, so... It's not, it's not my fault, guys. It's fairly standard, <laughs> anyway. But you also had a column called the Critical Hit Award on electric literature for a couple of years. Yeah, and may, maybe this you're sort of outing me with uh, the, the question Angie asked earlier about what defines fiction advocate, and I said it's kind of the intersection of critical and uh, and personal. Uh, that, that's that probably comes from my own biases because because I, I have been really interested in um, book reviewing as. Uh, I, I think pe- people tend to think that it's kind of a mean thing, uh, but, but I think it can be a really um, creative and and intellectual and uh, exciting thing. So, and, and I've been interested in that for a long time. So, we, I did the Critical Hit Awards were just sort of uh, literally awards for book reviews at Electric Literature, and then um, uh, at, at the Rumpus, mostly mostly what I do is is field pitches from book publicists, assign book reviews to people, edit those reviews with them, and, and publish them. And what are you looking for uh, in, well, you actually asked somebody, because uh, you did these interviews in the Critical Hit Awards as well, with, oh. right? and you said, what makes a good book review? So let me throw that question of yours <laughs> back at you. Can it? <laughs> uh, well, Elizabeth, uh, you've written book reviews for the Rumpus, so I, I, I think you would, you would know uh, what, what a good Rumpus book review is. Um, but but uh, from my perspective, um, it's a, a review that's worth reading in, in its own right. Um, we w- one thing we don't want to do is cover like a big Salman Rushdie novel because Salman Rushdie wrote a big novel um, without contributing something to the conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's important for all of our reviews to stand on their own and be um, not just a product review, but you know so, something that uh, draws draws in some something that's happening in society or something that's some trend in in art that that's worth talking about and worth integrating into the discussion of the work at hand. Can you talk about the process that you go through writing a book review? You know, from from reading the book, are you taking notes while you're reading the book on your responses? Are you writing in it? I mean, and just, unless it's that one that he threw across the room, the one you read said the, right, the A.O. Scott book you read seven oh, pages. Yeah. Um, so not a it, lot of notes on that one. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that one was easy to spot. Uh, the, y- yes, to, to your questions, Elizabeth, um, I, I'm writing notes in the margins and, um, and taking notes elsewhere. And usually, uh, yeah, when, for me personally, you know, about halfway through the book, patterns will have emerged and I'll hear in my head, you know, an opening paragraph or a closing paragraph and you'll start to have things that you can sort of hang other observations on. 
and the, the, the structure sort of comes together. I was, I was really geeky about book reviews uh, a number of years ago when, when I was doing the critical hits thing at Electric Literature. Um, and I read a lot of them and I, I would go to, I would go read, you know, book reviews at barnesandnoble.com or The Onion, you know, in addition to like the New York Review of Books and, and all the, the great ones. Um, and I, until I just started seeing, you know, good patterns in terms of how do you enter into a discussion, you, you know, like, uh, how, how do you, um, choose the right excerpt. And mm. I, I think at this point I can feel when someone submits a book review to the rumpus when it's missing one of those components. It's not like I have an idea of, of what a book review should be, but there are different things that need to be touched on and different um, approaches that work and don't work. Um, so I, 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 it really, really helps to, to edit and publish three book reviews a week. Um, yes. <laughs> when, 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 it, when it finally comes time for me to write one, it, I, I don't have to think about those structural things so much. Do you think you read differently when you're reading as a book reviewer than, say, reading through the, the you know, books you might be taking on as an editor or considering or oh, yeah. books you read for yeah. pleasure? For sure. And I, I, I don't do any assignments where, you know, someone where I know that I have to review a book before I've started to read it and enjoy it. So, so usually... Um, I will know that I should be reviewing a book when I have some strong reaction to it, so that that's that's easy to figure out. Um, but you're saying you don't know you're reviewing it, you you until you enjoy it, or I yeah, yeah, I, I um, yeah, the, the last every book review that I've that I've done for the past couple of years has been because I chose to review that book after starting to read it. You know. Um, are they all new books then? Are you are you sort of reading a lot of kind of up? forthcoming books yeah because uh because so many publicists send me stuff to for consideration at the rumpus i'm just knee deep in in new books and there's so i couldn't possibly read all the good ones so um henry james is gonna have to wait yeah <laughs> so you're so you're kind of waiting through the pile and you pick it up and if it catches you enough to read the whole thing then you're you're in it and then eventually you're thinking about a review yes and that's that's like a huge a huge portion of my life these days is looking at books and deciding uh, what can be done with them. Whether we want to talk to that person, fiction advocate, whether we want to review them at the rumpus, whether I want to recommend it to my mother, uh, whether, whether it's something that, that I should personally read. It's, uh, it's, it kind of blows my mind sometimes the, the uh, number of decisions that I can be making when I, when I encounter a book. Like it, it, I might be opening up something that's going to take up you know, 10 hours of my life because I'm going to read it, or I might just be glancing at something and connecting it with some reviewer who did something for us two years ago, and I got to send it to him because I think they'll like it, that sort of thing. There's so many different possibilities. Are you avoiding negative reviews other than maybe when the book causes you to throw it across the room? <laughs> you have no, to I have negative it. reviews. Uh, as, as long as they're, uh, you know, like, like we said earlier, as long as they have their own occasion and, and seem like they're worth reading in, in their own right. Mm -hmm. um, Isaac Fitzgerald got... In, got you know, in famous hot water recently. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? No, I, I know who he is, but he's the, he well he was connected with the Rumpus for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and then he moved to McSweeney's, and when he was moving to BuzzFeed, he did an interview where he said, "Well, at BuzzFeed, we're we're going to cut. We're only going to do positive coverage of books because um, the, you know life's too short, and there are too many books out there, and we just want to be um, you know exposing good stuff and not you know shitting on bad stuff." Um, and a bunch of people uh, jumped on him. I, Maria Bustillos, who I, I have a ton of admiration for, among other people, sort of like savaged that comment and said, 
you know, that's not what criticism is about. Um, it's not about being nice to your friends. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, I, I feel like the shadow of that discussion kind of, kind of hangs over the rumpus still a little bit. Um, and we, you know, with all respect to Isaac, I, I do like negative reviews, especially when they're, when they're smart and revealing. I, I, I think we all have mean sides to us and they can bring out, um, some, some really good observations. I was thinking about this because the reason I, I sort of, when I was published, when I was, you know, when I, when I, when my novel was published low these many years ago, I, um, you know, I, I hated negative review, getting negative reviews and especially mm. stupid reviews. Right. I mean, I think oh, yeah. that was the worst. I mean, it was something that was just like wrong or whatever. But a stupid positive review. That was okay. <laughs> <laughs> but. And I was thinking about, and I think out of that, I thought, I am never going to write a negative review. People don't know how hard someone works, blah, blah, blah. And and I think that, you know, one, I hope I've gotten, like, a tougher skin since then. And and, um, and that it is more about something being being smart and engaged than, than being, than praising. To, mm -hmm. for, you know, and, and actually Anna March on a panel at AWP said, if you want to publish, you need to be reviewing. You need to be uh, being mm. part of that conversation, and it's also, of course, a way that books get attention. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I've been sort of grappling with with that the author side of me that's like, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I can see that. Um, you you made me think of a couple different things. I I think maybe it was it might have been Dave Eggers, but somebody somebody also got in a little trouble for saying something to the effect of you're not allowed to to criticize a work of art until you've made one until you've made this the same kind of, of work of art which is also kind of, kind of a I'm, I'm not I'm not sure if, if that could possibly be true if, if people aren't allowed to have opinions about a chair until they've built a chair you know um, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I there's there's definitely no reason to just hurt someone's feelings uh, in in a review and uh, I, I come across this in my day job because we we look a lot at Amazon reviews as a source of um, you know clues about what what we should publish and um, how how the, the people are actually responding um, and the stupidity on in both a positive and negative way can is, is astounding. I mean there will often be be a review that that'll that'll just say you know the my copy was damaged in by water when it showed up one star and, and you know some poor author has to contend with that yeah yeah so, yeah. so talk, will you talk a little bit about the, the way your day job works because this is another side of publishing you're yeah. you're looking Callisto. at the market yep so callisto media is a, a startup book publisher that's about uh four maybe five years old and uh we publish nonfiction mostly. Um, so far, we've done mostly cookbooks and health books, and we've also done, um, you know, things uh, like on psychology topics and business. And you have um, like ten imprints or something crazy. Like how many? Yeah. Sub imprints does Costo have? Well, uh, we're currently publishing in maybe five of those, uh, but okay. for a while we we fired up a whole bunch of them. Um, yeah. It was a it was a strategic thing, but uh, some some of those aren't aren't as active anymore. the The idea behind the company is that um, uh, by looking at what people are searching for, clicking on, and purchasing on online in online marketplaces like Amazon, you can actually get a really strong sense of what people want and what people what they don't want, and you can sort of 
tailor a book to match those needs. So, so we work with data analysts who are my colleagues who are constantly figuring out how many times things are getting searched for, how many times they're getting clicked on, and where the difference is between you know things that are being bought and the quality isn't that good and people aren't happy with it. Um, uh, so you know they, they're finding opportunities like that, and then editors like myself will sort of craft. Um, a, a book that matches what people are actually looking for. And does that pan out? Do people then buy those books in in those the expected numbers? Yeah, yeah, they they do. This the, is keyword the, marketing. Yeah, yeah. And the, the the crazy thing about Callisto compared to other book publishers is that our failure rate is much much lower. Um, which ties back into what I mentioned earlier about how we think that big publishers are on kind of that Hollywood blockbuster model. Um, Callisto's on the opposite model where, you know, 70% of our books or some, some large number, um, earn the amount of money that we, that we want them to, to earn. Uh, and that, that has, that has only, that number has only been going up. So it's, it's not about, um, we, we, we don't publish any splashy books, but they're, um, they rarely, rarely, uh, fail. It's so I, you just said, you know, it's almost the opposite side of the spectrum from the Hollywood blockbusters. But I was actually just going to ask you if it was in another way on the opposite side of the spectrum from Fiction Advocate. Oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> but do you, are you in I mean, say you once in Fiction Advocate, you pick a book and you already love it and you're behind it. Do you want to pull in some of this? Like, here's how we craft the, Analysis, the copy about yeah. it, because, keyword stuff or any of this? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, it's it's useful to a certain extent. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm sure we've learned some lessons about SEO at at Fiction Advocate uh, based on this, but um, they are separate beasts, and I I feel I, I want them to be separate beasts. I, I I don't want to have to publish the novel that that the average American uh, is searching for and and purchasing. You know, I want <laughs> I want to be able to use Fiction Advocate to publish things that I think matter and that mm-hmm. that that we're all passionate about. Um, if we were to do the the novel that people are are most often searching for, it would be it would be something I would probably find schlocky. <laughs> well, plus I think that you know there is space to open up what people are searching for, but they don't necessarily know what to look for to begin with. So, yeah. you know, they people search for what they kind of already know in certain ways. Like I need you know this including is including editors often, right? right? I mean that's the funny thing. But with you something can't like predi- you, there is yeah. a saying you can't predict what's going right. to be the next. But year. with something like fiction advocate, you're running it in a small enough way that you could actually open up people's own ideas about the things to search for and the kinds of things they like. Yeah. Exactly. I I hope so. Yeah. How does your work as an editor and book reviewer impact your own creative work? Uh, I don't know. All of us writers are probably psychotic about revising and trimming and like obsessing over words. So that's probably not not <laughs> even though being an editor, I think focuses you on that a little a little more. Um, I think every writer ends up in that place anyway, right? Of, of obsessing. Um, uh, one, one one thing that I think might help me as a writer is I'm even as I'm writing a book, I've got the market. I've written the marketing copy. Like many, wow. many times, wow. like since since the very beginning, because it, because I knew that uh, when when it when I send that to an agent, um, the the first thing the agent's going to read is my description of it, and when that agent sends it to an editor, the first thing the agent the editor's going to read is a description of it, and um, I know that that this manuscript is going to need some sort of metadata or some helpers, uh, <laughs> like sort of glommed onto it as as it goes through this process. Um, so I, 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 some, sometimes I think it can be helpful to 
envision the whole process um, when you're even when you're starting out. Okay, you use the word metadata, which I think is sort of funny because <laughs> you know most people would be like, oh, like a really compelling logline or a really <laughs> strong synopsis yeah. that leaves them wanting to read more. And you're like, no, it's metadata, and yeah. he is in the startup. I know. It's just world. I love it. I love it. So um, go ahead. Um, now I'm spinning with, oh, well, I often have my students write, you know, a pitch or a log line, and then I expect that will morph as the project morphs, and it, and it mm -hmm. does in interesting ways, and it can be a, a structure or a filter for the project, and then, you know, and then you, it kind of goes, bounces back and forth between the, the description mm -hmm. and the and the yeah. evolving work. So. Yeah, it's, it was really interesting. I, I, I was writing that marketing copy a while ago, just from, you know, I'm not ready to show it to anybody, but I wanted to bounce the reality off of the pitch, yeah. uh, and I ended up, you know, thinking that that the the copy wasn't really, you know, lively enough. So I just sort of freestyled on it and wrote wrote like this really long sentence about all these crazy things that were going to happen in the novel. And then I stepped back and I was like, oh, I should probably actually deliver on that. <laughs> that's a great way to brainstorm. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's. Um, what before we go into our last segment, you are such a great editor of and 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 one of the things that I feel like I've learned from you in our in our few interactions is to cut the um kind of qualifiers the, mediation. the well it's not quite mediation that's a whole other thing but that I <laughs> um, but but like the you know this is what I think I'm probably going to do it a lot right now in trying to articulate this question but <laughs> this is what I think or this is my opinion or apparently this or maybe that and just yeah. sock it to them <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 well, first of all, thank you, and uh, second of all, yes, I, I, I see that with a lot of reviews, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an easy thing to get rid of, and, and it makes a, a big difference. I think a lot of people um, see right there. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said I think, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but, but the, the framework of the review, which w one of the things that fascinates me about it, is that you, you don't have to reassert that you're expressing an individual opinion it's built into what that thing is so if you can just uh, cut to the chase you don't have to be apologizing or, or, or framing it the whole way through and in that way well, I guess wait, you're right it is mediation <laughs> I always think of mediation in, in fiction where they're saying you know she saw the cow walking yeah, down yeah. the street right. and I'm like Gee, we, we know whose point of view it is Get, let's have the cow be the subject well here yeah. was my burning question okay. from the beginning and this will be my last question oh great who should not be uh, reviewer of books. Oh, um, like friends. can anybody can anybody review books? Like you know what I mean? Is it? I have friends who do you know rants on various different things, and and I just I wonder if there is a skill set that you know someone should have in approaching the criticism world. Oh, that's that's a great question, um, and I've never thought about it that way. My my initial reaction was. The friends of the author just are are should should be out should should recuse themselves. Um, it it doesn't always work that way. Uh, and um, I think an, anybody who's uh, not going to give the author the benefit of the doubt in terms of uh, what a, I think what a reviewer needs to do is to uh, try to understand what the author set out to accomplish, and then and then give an opinion as to whether the author accomplished that or not. And sometimes a reviewer will not uh, take take the author's premise into account, um, and will wish that the book had been a totally different book than the one that is actually there. Um, so that that's 
that's an immediate disqualifier. Um, I, I think as long as you are not the author's best friend or parent and, <laughs> and you're actually giving, trying to evaluate what the author intended to accomplish rather than what you wish the author was trying to accomplish, then as long as you can string a sentence together and uh, say something about the text and about the world that it lives in, then, then I think you're good. Excellent. Well, we end with Steal This, um, pulled from T.S. Eliot's idea that amateur poets borrow and professional poets steal, uh, to ask ourselves and our guests, um, what have you come across lately in your reading or wanderings that you wanted to take and make your own? Uh, is it my, my turn to answer? If you're, if you're ready, you may begin. <laughs> sure. I So I, I knew you were going to ask this, and it's so weird because uh, st you asked me how... Uh, how I sort of mark up a book as I'm reading it when I plan to review it. And there are, you know, certain notations that, that we all have, uh, shorthand that, uh, for those of us who, who actually mess up our books by writing in them, uh, and steal this, those two words, that that's one of my notes that, that I'll put in, in the margin when I'm like, Oh, I, I want to use that. I love um, it. And that the last time that, that, that I used that just rampantly in the book really surprised me. And it was, uh, a book called the scientist by Marco Roth, which which is a memoir of, his parents, and I think, I, mean, I don't even remember anymore, but I think it's a memoir of growing up in New York and eventually his dad came out as gay, mm -hmm. and then he became this intellectual figure who found co-founded N Plus One magazine. Um, and I, I, was, I was prepared to hate the book and to, and to resent this very intellectual New York writer, um, and instead the way that he talked about his, the, the father-son relationship seems so like lucid. Mm -hmm. um, that I just marked that whole thing up with the word steal this. What did you want to steal? Like the lucidity, the, the father-son relationship description, something else? Yeah, the, um, well, mostly the uh, clear way of talking about a bad father-son relationship, because I actually have a great relationship with my dad, but I'm trying to write about a bad one. And I, <laughs> and I, needed, I needed someone to show me what it was like. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. That's good to know. Like, are you having a good relationship with your dad? Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh. Although so, you have I'm a very happy relationship with my parents. Mine is mine was good, and, and now he's deceased, so in some ways it's gotten easier. But um, <laughs> <laughs> long deceased. But anyway, yes. I wouldn't be joking about it. Angie, how about you? Um, well, I've actually been looking back over. I, this sort of jogged me when you were talking about your jacket copy and your metadata. Um, and I have actually been looking back over stuff about copywriting. I used to be a copywriter and there's an idea that the job of the headline is to make you want to read the first sentence and the job of the first sentence is to make you want to do the next sentence. And um, I think that I want to approach my writing with that same set of criteria. Am I, am I making the beginnings of everything solid enough mm. that it drives a question what, so that the person will go to the next sentence. Great. I that. <laughs> well, you know, we've been doing a few more interviews uh, than normal because we're going away for a few weeks. And so I, I realize I'm reading the same book I was reading uh, when we did our like last... two months ago. No, it was like, <laughs> it was like two days ago. And, I, and I'm thinking, I don't want to talk about it, even though I'm learning, I'm still learning things I want to steal from it. But I I don't know if I, I hope I haven't mentioned this on the podcast, but it's it's been something that struck me. So I'll, I'll talk about this, which is I heard an interview with Ethan Kanan. I haven't yet read the book he came out with last year, but it's about a mathematician. And he talked about 
interviewing mathematicians and getting all this great information and like putting it in the book and sending it off to his editor and she said okay now you just have to take all that math stuff out (laughs) (laughs) and he said you know when you don't know something very well you tend to put a lot more detail and information in Mm -hmm. and I realized that was exactly what I was doing with the science in the book that I'm working on now that I was a little bit showing off like see I can make you think I know about this um which is a fun game, like when you're playing, you know, one of those you know dictionary games. Where Two you, truths and a lie. All of those things, but but in the book, not so much. And I actually had just a gleeful time crossing off pages and pages. <laughs> so um, so I kind of stole that, but I'll 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 leave it at that. Um, so um, Brian, how can people make their way to your public persona? Oh, uh, the um, I guess via. Twitter uh, at differently real um, or uh, fiction advocate has an email inbox fiction advocate at gmail.com um, and a we're website. Around. Yeah. Yeah. The, the read the rumpus, read fiction advocate. Um, go, go buy some very solidly made, but unflashy cookbooks on Amazon. Yes. <laughs> well, wonderful. It's been such a pleasure to yeah. talk with you. You too, both. Thank you so much. Send us some of your authors. Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, this is Storymakers Show, and show notes are available at storymakersshow.com. Please review us on iTunes or Stitcher so that like-minded folks or unlike-minded folks who might enjoy the show can find us. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much, Brian.